Have you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9Fin, our suite of podcasts where we bring you the need-to-know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high-yield leverage loans and restructuring spaces. We also have our US podcast, which features discussions with members of the North American Levin market with US editor Will Cager-Smith. So be sure to check in every second Thursday for that. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today when we'll be looking at Q2 earnings trends, Ford's new green bond and regulation in the mortgage market. But first, the Levin wrap. Signs of life have emerged in the loan market, though the bond market is still silent. Axel, a Dutch bicycle designer, is issuing a 700 million euro TLB to support its acquisition by KKR. Deutsche Bank, alongside RBI and Shin Han, the Korean bank, are running the deal. While the company does have Asian operations, 40% of its revenue is derived from Germany. The deal is talked at Eurobor plus 500 bips and OID guidance has not yet been released. Commitments are due on the 15th of September. The market is spoilt for choice with a second deal. Flutter, the gambling company which runs wildly popular sports book in the US, is better rated than Axel at BA1 and B minus from Moody's and S&P respectively. And it's coming out with a $998.7 million TLB, which is currently talked at 97 and Sofra plus 325 bips. Despite the bond market fatigue, the gambling behemoth is expected to bring a bond to the market soon also. Today, we're taking a new spin on the Covenant close-up and looking to regulation in the mortgage market. Ninefin has several house builders in its database as Leffin issuers, including Miller Homes, Keepmote and Nainor Homes. This week, I attended the Investors Conference on UK Mortgage Finance to get the latest on mortgages and attended a panel on regulatory developments affecting the mortgage market and its lenders. Mortgage rates and availability directly impact house building issuers from how much their houses can cost to build to how much demand there will be for them. The panel was moderated by John Orchard, CEO of OMFIF. And first up, you'll hear Sam Kravinkas, the Senior Legal Counsel for the Treasury at Together Financial Services, and Paul Broadhead, Head of Mortgage Policy at the Building Society Association, discuss potential impacts on loan-to-value ratios of mortgages. Might we expect anyway um, regulatory pressure to tighten LTVs and things like that, given the problems we've just seen in the earlier session with valuations? on top of everything else, on top of affordability issues. I mean, together we lend at very conservative LTVs across the board anyway. Um, And they, you know, I I think the rising interest rates in themselves will do a lot to kind of dampen the, the, you know, the affordability question. Um, Okay. Just just one thing on that that particular point, John. Um, Regulatory pressure on time and LTVs is, is one thing, but we've also got a government that is absolutely committed to vote home ownership in the UK. We saw former Prime Minister uh, Johnson make a speech earlier this year and commit to a review of the mortgage market to help first-time buyers get onto the housing ladder more easily. He knows full well that the largest challenge is raising that deposit. So actually there's some tension at play here between the regulatory right thing right. to do, the lender commercially within their risk appetite to do, and what the political yeah. will is. Well, the, the, the previous session, of course, points around it's actually unhelpful at the moment to encourage more people into the housing market without increasing supply. But... 
Next up, Luca Bertolot, the Secretary General for the European Mortgage Foundation, discusses upcoming regulation affecting the mortgage market in Europe, including the interpretation of Basel III and, and the Energy Performance Building Directive. I, I have to say there are very specific concerns generally on the implementation uh, of the Basel III on the mortgage sector. Some markets will be paying a higher price than others. We have, this is the feeling that we have, namely Germany, the Netherlands. I would say the low-risk business I will be paying a higher price. Uh, but there is a general concern on the fact that the most fragile part of the society could be paying a higher price in terms of capital charges, which can be a reduction of lending to young people, to most fragile people. So there is a question, what is the political plan be, uh, behind this? I think another very important piece of legislation that is currently under discussion in the European Parliament is the Energy Performance Building Directive, which will uh, give clear indication on the EPC, the Energy Performance Certification of the Building, access to database, how lenders can manage this data, and how lenders can build green portfolio in terms of mortgages and green, mortgage and green bonds afterwards. Uh, and thirdly, I think the mortgage credit directive will be probably reviewed very, uh, and those are, I think, areas where we have to make an effort to keep the two sides of the channel as much as possible closed. Because it's true, well, now we don't see the urgency, but in this political debate, uh, um, I think the sides that, of the challenge that we have in front of us, it's our responsibility to keep the common method because I don't see difference of the UK mortgage market with any of other mortgage market in Europe, apart from the fact that it is the largest mortgage market of the whole continent. So we have all the interest to keep, uh, uh, I would say, the mental approach to facing these challenges as much as possible aligned. The event was a well-attended hit and I would like to flag Deal Catalyst's specialty lenders forum on private credit finance on November the 16th and 17th in London. Go to Deal Catalyst's website for more information. Next up, we have Please Raise Responsibly, our ESG segment. Today, we have um, a debut commentator on with us. It's the lovely Sammy Cole, an ESG analyst. Welcome, Sammy. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's great to have you on. Um, so today we're going to be talking about uh, Ford, uh, the massive car manufacturer uh, that uh, aims to allocate the net proceeds of its 10-year non-call life senior green bond wholly to clean transportation projects. Um, so we're going to be digging into this one a bit more because Sammy's written um, uh, quite uh, the magnum opus on this. Um, why don't we kick off uh, quickly by talking about some of the um, issues that are inherent in EV production, Sammy. So some of the concerns surrounding EV production that you raised, including the generation of GHG emissions and byproducts during the mining process. I think you mentioned sludge. Um, they're problematic for all EV producers. That's so just like inherent in, in what what's needed to, to manufacture electric vehicles. I was wondering if there are any concerns that you have that are unique to Ford. So through its recently issued senior green bond, Ford's main focus is obviously on the electrification of its fleet. And this translates to a huge ramp up in the mining of raw earth materials that are needed for EV batteries. This process of mining generates GHGs and also frequently results in waste pollution. 
This is particularly relevant to Ford, which still has a long way to go to catch up with top players in the field. So these are, for example, Tesla and General Motors. Although it has teamed up with the battery recycling company, Redwood Materials, this was only announced in September 2021 and will take time to get going. As well as this, Ford has been unclear in the past on where it sources its battery materials. And this is especially problematic because much of the raw materials are found in areas dangerously close to um, vital ecosystems. So for example, the Amazon. There are also mounting social concerns related to mining such materials. Globally, around 300 human rights abuse allegations related to around 115 different mining companies have been filed since 2010. Of all of the targets, because there's a whole host of um, kind of targets and um, various different metrics that you cover off in your piece, but which target is of most concern to you? Well, I think the main question is whether Ford can achieve its aim of producing 2 million electric vehicles per year by 2026. And this is because in 2020, only 0.6% of Ford's revenue came from electric vehicles, whereas it expects electric vehicles to make up almost half of its global sales by 2030, which is a significant increase in activity. And this makes the target seem incredibly amb ambitious. Although Ford places great importance on battery recycling, as I mentioned before, a Chatham House report highlights that the demand for raw materials for EV batteries greatly exceeds what can currently be obtained through recycling, resulting in a risk of supply bottlenecks. Um, despite these risks, it is important to remember that the proceeds from Ford's green bond are directly focused on electrification and that in July, 2022, Ford was the best-selling brand in the EV market. So obviously this highlights a really positive trajectory so far. Oh, fantastic. Um, I guess that's kind of the positive side, but are there any like major issues that you would raise about the company? Any kind of final ESG points that, that investors really shouldn't ignore? So there have been a few material ESG issues that Ford has had to deal with. Um, so first of all, Ford has been under criminal investigation because of concerns surrounding emissions concealing. And it's also experienced more safety recalls than any other US automaker. Um, so this is obviously really significant as both issues are considered violations of the United Nations Global Compact and the OECD guidelines, which provide important standards for responsible business conduct. Um, and although social issues related to the mining for battery production are particularly prevalent in the auto manufacturing industry. Ford does have robust supply chain mapping and has not been involved in any related social controversy, contro controversies. Tesla, on the other hand, has been involved in several allegations of human rights abuses. Um, another major issue for Ford relates to cybersecurity. And so, for example, in 2021, a bug was actually found on Ford's website that led to data exposure. And although it's not actually clear if any attackers exploited the bug, researchers highlighted that the impact would have been large in scale as the vulnerabilities could have been used to gain access to sensitive records, carry out, carrying out account takeovers and obtaining a considerable amount of data, including personal identifiable information. Fantastic. This was a really cracking report, uh, Sammy. Do you know where our listeners can find it? 
So the detailed written report um, on Ford's ESG-related concerns and opportunities will soon be available on the Ninefin platform, so make sure to check it out. Next up, we have the deep discussion, where we will be discussing a topic a little bit more deeply. Today, I have with me fellow loans reporter, Michal Skibala. Hello. Hello, Michal. Thank you so much for being with us today. How are you? Um, I'm doing well. Pleasure always. Today, we're going to be talking about earnings uh, because we're almost through um, the earnings season and um, we're just going to pick out a few trends from some of the companies that we've been looking at. So, Mikhail, what do you think are the biggest trends that uh, companies are facing right now? Overall, the second quarter earnings were better than expected. I think like early on in the quarter, there was a lot of uncertainty around like Russian invasion of the Ukraine and the impact on commodity prices. And a lot of companies were at that time grilled on how they were dealing with that. And so the expectations were pretty grim um, and uncertain. And they still are, but I feel that some of the even sell-off that we're seeing coming to summer in some companies particularly has been um, maybe a little bit um, overstretched or... Um, obviously, there are uh, like idiosyncratic risk for particular companies. But like, for example, we've seen Upfield um, pick up after they were able to surprise with really good earnings this season. Obviously, pass-through is important. And com- if companies efficiently passing through prices, investors are really um, um, happy and like willing to like uh, go long on the company, especially as if they're seeing companies that are having troubles with inflation and input prices going up, um, they have less um, opportunities um, to invest because they, uh, we obviously been hearing that people have been reducing their portfolios and specifically retail, fresh food has been particular area that they've been following. And so just to, I mean, like we can pick obviously with every company specifics what they're facing. But I think the big questions coming in the next quarter is if your companies are efficiently able to pass through um, inflation, if if they are facing any slowdown in demand because of some recessionary pressures and how long they think they're going to say. So obviously, by said, there's even when looking at second quarter numbers, we're mostly grilling the management on any forward looking um, outlook and that all the companies were able to give it. For example, this week we reported on HSE24 earnings that um, company has um, traded off 10 points on, 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 on facing almost like a perfect storm of logistical issues, supply chain issues, um, even COVID cluster cases in its warehouses. And then at the same time, diminishing consumer confidence is is uh, making increasing prices difficult and obviously they're facing a low demand so they end up with like a lot of inventory there's no way to sell and they didn't offer any outlook what's going to happen besides that they believe that next quarters won't be as affected and still looking at the prices of the bonds it doesn't seem that everyone has been convinced i think question of upcoming um end of the year is the the commodity prices, especially gas prices, because as we can see in the news this week, everything can change in a day. Um, and um, any energy dependent company, 
for example, like Iceland that um, um, might be having difficulty to offset any big spikes in, in gas prices or energy prices related to that uh, might be having issues. Yeah, Iceland um, revealed the extent of its own energy crisis uh, this week with EBITDA of 16.9 million um, up to the end of June. And um, they had 19 million pounds of unhedged exposure to surging electricity prices. So, yeah, you're absolutely um, right to say that electricity is a difficult one out there. Energy had the highest level of inflation versus of food or alcohol, tobacco or other services. It um, Inflation in the Eurozone reached 38.3% in August, which was slightly down from 39.6% in July. But that's just a huge amount of inflation. Lots of companies have had a lot of practice dealing with raw materials increases since 2021. They're kind of well-practiced in pushing through these. They're definitely important, but I don't know if, if everyone has the same level of expertise, I think. And that's that's sort of maybe the idiosyncrasy we're seeing that it also could be sector specific. But even in, in as you said, like Iceland, like even in retail sector, we do see supermarkets doing better and some of them worse. Even though we have overall macro jitters that are affecting companies, we, we also have just the, all the problems the company brought with themselves from the past and they're still dealing with. So... For example, we were covering Unit 4, which is supposedly like a defensive uh, Brazilian IT sector company. But because of um, uh, making a trans uh, making an acquisition and going through a, a big transition of the business, moving from, from um, SaaS contracts to cloud, that that still is, is straining the business. And um, this is not something that lenders were not aware of. But since the EBITDA half in, in second quarter is definitely something that's now more of a concern. It's it's coming through across the board now. We're seeing uh, even those more resilient software-enabled companies, um, tech-enabled companies such as House of HR see their wage inflation really come through. Um, it's those big healthcare firms who rely heavily on people um, and suffer massively from wage inflation. Um, even at places like Delivery Hero, they're suffering a bit more from things like bonus payments. Um, that type it of definitely thing. amplifies if company already had some strain, because if you would have a more um, positive forward outlook on macro environment, you obviously will be able to to know what your problem is and how to mitigate it. But if if the if some of your revenues could be uncertain because of of demand diminishing because of um, especially if you if you consumer related um, product and your consumer discretionary um, company then whatever strain you had if it was some um, some um, big debt pile from acquisitions that you're paying off or transitioning or high wage costs um, it's just becoming a bigger problem now and people are um, more like definitely lenders are more aware of of any risk at the moment and more risk averse but i would just still highlight that since they came into the quarter really cautious um um at the end uh on general level uh, overall second quarter earnings surprised positively one one area that i think is actually really interesting on the pass-through point is buildings materials even in the face of a 
horrendous future for the construction market, they're still able to kind of push those costs through. And we've seen that with uh, BME Group. They uh, reported um, revenue increase of over 30%, um, company adjusted EBITDA of of over 30%. Uh, Even their margin increased by... 0.2%. 0.2%. And it's the same with Zella in Germany. I mean, even with the atrocious uh, state of affairs for energy over there, terrible inflation over there, um, they they've, they've seem to be having a very solid quarter. They've had strong positive cash generation. Liquidity is still very good. I think really the the only issues that buy siders had with zeller was um the fact that it was in germany uh it was much more of a kind of macro issue and concerns about the building material space in general rather than the idiosyncratic risk associated with zeller itself yeah i think what's interesting about building material sector and correct me if i'm wrong because you went much deeper this week into into the sector than than i but i um as we were hearing that post-pandemic, there was a, obviously a construction backlog of of all the postponed uh, construction that, um, and and also like all the home improvements. That there definitely is a demand that's still um, coming from pandemic, but at the same time, they are are facing like a rise in import costs. But they are able to pass them through very efficiently if the demand is there. It's it's about it's. I would be curious about question mark coming forward about raising mortgage prices if if actually people who are building houses were able to um, afford the new rising building materials because they're actually houses that their mortgage for might become more expensive when finished. But on sort of the commercial construction space, I I think it's it's definitely interesting to see how essentially the developers are acting towards the rising uh, material raw materials because they're quite volatile so they essentially are trying to figure out if they should uh, bulk up orders now if the prices go up or not and we've seen it at various um, raw materials that actually then they stabilize um, a couple weeks later so if you have a essentially energy supply outside of a building materials if you do have a good um, contract base when you can um, immediately put pass through uh, in and you don't have to wait um, months or even even longer to to raise prices. Then, then you just um, tie to demand in the sector, and the demand still seems to be there because uh, the buildings do need to be finished. So I do think there's still some leg room or like run rate, let's call it for for building materials before they have to face any um, softening of the demand. I actually covered Miller Homes, uh, which who reported on the 30th of August. And on pass-throughs there, they, as you said, they're obviously suffering some, some price increases that they need to pass through, but they've done an incredibly stellar job at Miller Homes. All of the investors were super pleased about how much they, they've pushed um, uh, price increases through. I mean, we've seen that through the house, the housing boom house price boom we'll we'll see it will be interesting to see how miller homes and other housing developers deal with these price increases and raw materials volatility which they may continue to keep seeing i i see your point about how there's they it does flatline but if they continue seeing inflationary pressure it would be interesting to see how the developers deal with a housing market crash 
And that's all we have time for this week. And if you do want to read more about some of these situations, head to 9fin.com slash insights where you can see some of our content in front of the paywall or you can drop us an email at team at 9fin.com. We're always keen to hear your suggestions for topic ideas, your comments on our discussion and your feedback on the platform. If you like this podcast, don't forget to like and share it. Tune in for the US edition next week. I'll be back the week after. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.